Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today, I'm joined by Brant Daughtry as we take you through an hour and a half of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show today. Again, another shortened show. That is because the Borgard High School girls will be playing in the area championship today at Valley, so that one will come on air just prior to 5 o'clock. Last night, unfortunately, the Borgard boys did fall at Tallahassee, so their season's over, but the girls are guaranteed not only this area final, but at least one additional playoff game. And so we will have those for you right here in Tiger 95.9. That's why we will have a shortened show today. In the meantime, we'll chat with Justin Ferguson at 4 o'clock today of the Auburn Observer, as we try to do each and every Tuesday. He'll give his thoughts on Auburn basketball, their first quad one win of the year in Oxford, Mississippi over the weekend. Also a look ahead to a big one, the Iron Bowl of basketball back in Neville Arena tomorrow night with first place in the SEC on the line. So we'll talk about that. And the latest on Auburn football's coaching staff search as they now look for a defensive line coach after Jeremy Garrett left over the weekend to go into the National Football League. So uh, hit on those topics with Justin. Of course, we will talk a little bit about this Auburn basketball team, uh, preview some SEC basketball that's coming up over the next couple of days, that sort of thing. Uh, and, again, only an hour-and-a-half show today. If you want to give us a call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Ryan LaVoy and Brant Daughtry with me. Brant has not been on the show the last couple of weeks. And even before that, the last time or two before that, he was on when I was not here. <laughs> so, Brant, it's good to, again, see you on the show, my friend. How are you? How are things in your world? Things are good in my world, and you're right. It's been a very long time since I was uh, on this mic- on this particular microphone. Been busy uh, calling Smith Station basketball and, you know, semester starting back up. So I've been really busy, but overall things are good in my world, and I, I think you covered it. Uh, Auburn football, there's a D-line coaching search going on. Um, th- that I'm sure we can t- cover a little bit. I don't know who the top candidates are. I haven't really uh, looked at any major lists. I-, I don't know if those lists are out. I don't know if the rumors are swirling, whatever. Uh, but certainly that's a position that's got to be filled sooner than later, uh, especially if you're going to be looking for uh, for recruits. I mean, we- we've got uh, the-, the portal cycle is mostly done for right now, but you've still got guys coming that are going to have to work in the spring, and then you've got the kids that are going to need a position coach to work with at that time. So you, you've got to, to make that hire as quickly as possible and make sure that's the right one. Um, and yeah, the Auburn, Alabama playing basketball back here at Neville arena on a Wednesday, which is still weird to me that they, but both of these games are on a Wednesday. I feel like Saturday would be better for both. I feel like both schools would enjoy that. I feel like it's better for the sport if this rivalry is played on a Saturday, but, uh, obviously a moot point now, uh, but it, a big one, um, 
And in coming off a major win for Auburn basketball as well, that Ole Miss win was, uh, I was only able to watch the first half of it, but uh, apparently, but I, I came back and watched the second half uh, a little bit later and uh, just an incredible, uh, probably the best that Auburn's looked in several weeks, probably since that first Ole Miss win uh, that, that Auburn has looked that good as they did in that second half. So hopefully uh, that can continue. Hopefully they shoot well and Alabama does not shoot quite as well as they did to start that game because that that feels unbeatable if they can pull that off. But um, hopefully Auburn can come out hot and uh, do what they need to do and come out with a win. You and Tom had uh, kind of similar experiences in terms of the uh, first uh, half of those games or or just kind of really how the the game went with Auburn Ole Miss. He was talking uh, yesterday about how he was driving around the area, was listening to the game, and then got home to cook dinner, got involved in that. Missed out in the second half. Strolled through social media. What in the world happened? Yeah, uh, that sort of thing. I know you had to call Smith Station basketball mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Smith Station versus Auburn High on Saturday night, and uh, so you obviously had to start working Saturday evening. Couldn't see the end of it, but uh, again, night and day performances. What struck me again talking a little bit about that game was that Auburn weathered the storm enough in mm-hmm. the first half that. Ole Miss early on hit several threes. Auburn matched some of them. And then when it got to its largest lead of about 13 points or so late in the first half, rather than that extending the 15, 16, 17 and a half, Auburn cut it back to single digits. And sometimes that can just be a psychological thing. The difference in 9 and 12 or 13 points, it's not a lot of point difference. It's not really the difference in you being able to come back and not. But psychologically, if you feel the other team kind of played their best version themselves and they could only get like a 2-3 possession advantage going to half, 9 points obviously being 3 full possessions, but you think to yourself, man, it's not going to take a whole lot of us playing a little better defense than cooling down a lot and us just making some shots to win the game. Of course, Auburn made all the shots, it felt mm-hmm. like, in the second half. But also just the under, undertones of the last couple road games being so rough, the, the, the surprise was just that it was able to look so good and so awesome for 20 minutes in the second half and to recover from a slow start. Yeah, and I, honestly, I feel like offensively, Auburn did not have that bad of a start. I feel like they, like you said, they were able to match the flurry that Ole Miss had early in that game. Uh, and you know they came back in the second half, and what a performance by Janai Broom! I, I'll I'll be totally honest. I've been kind of harsh on Janai Broom this year. I, I've uh, not as much on this show, but I've had several thoughts where I'm like, man, he's kind of playing soft. He's not going after loose balls like he should. He's taking a couple of bad shots. Not all the time. I'm not opposed to Janai shooting the three because he has been really good at it since the start of conference play. Uh, but the, just a couple of times where he put a shot up and I feel like him passing out of that low block would have been a better move. But as harsh as I've been on him, I can't deny the fact that he continues to get his stats, that he continues to put up winning numbers. I like Ken Palm has him as what the second most valuable player in all of college basketball right now. So clearly he's doing something right that I just can't see. And I'm okay with that as long as it leads to, to Auburn winning more games. But I, it was very obvious to see in the second half of that Ole Miss game especially that he was the best player on the floor, and that's the type of night that he can have at any time. Well, you know, I think that Janai probably suffers from the, uh, look, individual downside of having such a deep team. Like, obviously, as a team, there are pros, there are cons. This is a philosophy Bruce Pearl clearly has wanted to employ. He wants to have a deep team. He is not a guy that wants to only keep it to six or seven. He, he finds it to be strength in numbers. And – 
again, for a team, that can end up paying great dividends. For an individual, though, it gets hard to really put up the the true numbers that you're capable of putting up. Janai Brune this year, 15.7 points, 8.8 rebounds, 56% from the floor. His three balls even improved up to 34%. Uh, his free throws are in the 60s, which is a little better, on twenty in 24 minutes a game. And it's like how many guys – that are that capable are only going to finish at 24 minutes a game. I don't know the number off the top of my head. I'm about to find out what the minutes for Zach Eady is for Purdue, which, look, I would still say Eady is a better player. But Janai Broom is, uh, again, the the analytics suggest it ain't that far away. And, yeah, Zach Eady's playing 30.6 minutes a game. So you're getting an extra six and a half minutes a game. Yeah, you're going to have some better numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, Edie's a, a mammoth. I mean, there's <laughs> you have to play him an incredibly different way than even you would play Broom. But that can be, again, just the individual downside of somebody that is on a deep team because you're not going to get those raw just huge totals, whereas you have to look more at efficiency or maybe a, an important game, how someone showed up. And and, and so for Janai, like he had the other night against Ole Miss, when you have a game where you're at 15 points, nine rebounds, you know, in 25 minutes that he played, if he's playing the 31 minutes or so he's playing, that becomes 19 and 12. And then we're like double-double, yeah. look at this mammoth game, you know, that sort of thing. So sometimes it can be about that. I also say he had seven assists. He's starting mm-hmm. to figure out how to pass out of these double teams. And obviously you got to make the jumpers usually because that's usually the pass out of a double team. But that's something that I feel like maybe Jalen Williams is, is – kind of rubbing off on him because Jalen always, has always been that guy that you'll look up and he's like, he had a five or six assist night as a power forward. That's not very common in college basketball. So if Janai can continue to give you at least make the right pass, like you're not asking a big guy to have a certain assist number, but just make the correct pass when you are double team because that's, that's the whole problem with a double team if you're a big guy is usually you don't handle the ball well, you're not able to get up a shot, so then you can't make – an effective pass to make them pay for the double team. Well, if you can make an effective pass, then you're getting a wide open jumper somewhere. Yeah, I think it was. It, well, it, more to your point, the double team thing. That that's very clearly what a lot of teams have gone to. And I think earlier in the season he was trying to put up a shot through that double team, and it just it wasn't a good shot. He is now kind of picking his head up and finding the open guy. He had a pass in this in the Ole Miss game, I think it was, I think to Denver Jones in the opposite corner, that where he stepped through with his right foot and kind of threw it over his head. And it, it was just a, a perfect, perfect pass to an open guy in the corner, and Denver buried the three. It's that kind of thing that I don't know if we've seen him do that before. And he continues to get better at it. And like you said, six assists from your center is a great night. I don't care who you're playing or what his other numbers are. That's an effective night from that guy. I mean, he... I saw some of the Auburn beat saying second half Janai Broom looks like Nikola Jokic tonight. And it, <laughs> he really did, where he just was unstoppable, clearly the best dude on the court. Um, I think my my biggest critique of Janai Broom is I feel like when, he, when you get a guy in there who is as tall or taller than he is and plays a little more physically, has a little bit more size, not just height but width as well, he does kind of shrink when you try to beat him up a little bit. But if you don't have the the freak that uh, whatever team had Mississippi State had a guy like that who was about seven foot yeah, 240 Tolu Smith, yeah. yeah Tolu Smith thank you uh 
Tolu Smith kind of got that got down there and beat him up a little bit. Janai still got a couple of his numbers, but just didn't have the best night. But if you don't have a guy like that who's just built out of solid rock, then Janai Broom's going to wear you down all game long. And, of course, he will be a hot-button topic coming into Auburn's next game because of the huge night that he had mm-hmm. against Alabama because, again, that's not necessarily the way they play with the perimeter-oriented focus they have and all the guards they have. Grant Nelson is a quality big. He is a double-digit scorer, uh, but he does not provide that girth that is usually required to, to stop someone like Janai Broom. So uh, that is going to be a matchup Auburn will absolutely want to take advantage of on Wednesday night. One other thing that I wanted to mention before we go to our first break of the show, um, again, Auburn getting just a, a, a better version of production out of the point guards, not that any one guy just had a huge night. And this is not going to sound like much, but if I compared it to all of his other games recently, then it's a, this is a better night. So Aiden Holloway had six points, three assists, one turnover. Again, that we expect that someday at Auburn that will look like an awful game for him. We, we expect him to, to be a double-digit scorer, to have those four to five assists a game, and totally understand that. But for the way he'd been shooting, the, the two for nines, the 0 for fives, he saw the ball go in. I'm, I'm hopeful that will – it's not going to lead to an explosion, but that that can be more consistent. And then Trey Donaldson on the night, four of eight, two of three from three, 10 points, 6 assists, 1 turnover. So, you combine them. That is 16 points, 9 assists, 2 turnovers from your point guard. If you get that production, because they lack that for Mm -hmm. 3 to 4 games in there. They won 1 or 2 of them, but even the Vandy game was rough in terms of just what they got from their point guards. I think Auburn finished with 81 or 82 points in the game, but Holloway had, I think, a single point, and Donaldson had like 2 or 4 in that game. It was like, well, you would have had the 90-point game that everyone would have been impressed with if you got 15 points out of your point guards. They got that in Oxford. They got their 90-point game. Yeah, and the guard play at Auburn is something that a lot of people have harped on because obviously Bruce Pearl's best teams have really good point guard play. And when Trey Donaldson and Aiden Holloway are on, those guys, Auburn wins those games. They, they win them easily most of the time, but if those guys aren't on – uh, th- then it is a little bit rougher. And in loss- Auburn's losses so far this year, it has been not necessarily those guys turning the ball over a ton, but they are committing turnovers. They are not getting assists at the same rate, and they aren't scoring. Uh, and if if those guys can simply avoid turnovers and distribute well to Auburn's other scorers, those are the games where you see Auburn really start to run away with it. And then, of course, you have to start worrying about the other stuff. Aiden Holloway goes... Uh, over the top of a ball screen and you know that's that's his shot right if he starts knocking down that perimeter three like you're like you're talking about he's going to be a handful for everybody in college basketball we're going to go ahead and take our first time out of this shortened edition of sports call today on the other side we'll get to a real quick birthdays and sports also get to your phone calls on the orthopedic clinic phone line you're listening to the tuesday edition of sports call live on tiger 95.9 have your attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is what my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 
Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brant Daughtry with you here on this Tuesday edition of the show. Another beautiful day that we wish we could just bottle up. We know it'll get cold somehow one more time. We know it's <laughs> going to get so hot in a couple months. Just bottle up this day. Copy and paste it for a few weeks would be very nice. Uh, but beautiful day on the plains. Again, a shortened show for us off the air right around 4.30 today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. For the birthdays and sports today, Jamal Anderson turns 38, former defensive end in the NFL. Anderson played his college football career at Arkansas Whoopig. before being drafted eighth overall in the 2007 NFL Draft by the Atlanta Falcons. Anderson would have his longest tenure with the Falcons, finished with a career 132 tackles and seven and a half sacks. Jamal Anderson is 38 today. Jaquiz Rogers is 34, former NFL running back in college. Rogers played college football at Oregon State. Beavers. During his time with the Beavers, Rogers was a three-time first-team All-Pac-10 uh, selection, uh, and he was also Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year, selected the fifth round of the 2011 NFL Draft by the Atlanta Falcons. Again. Finished his pro career with over 2,000 rushing yards and over 1,500 receiving yards. Jaquiz Rogers. Is 34 today. He was another one of those running backs that had just like a two or three year run where he was just so good. I really, I really liked watching him in Atlanta. And I mean, obviously he broke down because all running backs do, but just just so fun to watch for that time. I uh, I became very aware of him at Oregon State. There was still a uh, it was like a Thursday night game or something that Oregon State beat then like top five USC. Yeah, and it, it was just like. I think that he had a brother named James Rogers, maybe two. Maybe. But uh, it was just like, this kid named Jaquiz is just giving <laughs> USC the business on national television. I think, I, if I remember right, this may be a different guy that Matt Ryan was talking about, but I think Matt Ryan once said of Jaquiz Rogers, he's got bowling balls in his legs, and that's yeah. why he runs so well. That would make sense. That yeah. would make sense. Jaquiz Rogers is 34. Colin Morikawa is 27, current golfer on the PGA Tour. Morikawa played collegiate golf at Cal. Golden Bears. From Forgot we were doing that. <laughs> from 2015 and 2019, winning five times, including the 2019 Pac-12 Conference Championship. Since turning into professional, Morikawa has six PGA Tour wins, including the 2020 PGA Championship and the 2021 Open Championship. Colin Morikawa is 27. And Adley Rutschman is 26, current catcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Rutschman played college baseball at Oregon State. Uh, Beavers. Beavers again. That was a uh, very Pac-12 heavy run there at the end. During his, rest in peace, during his college career, he won the (laughs) Golden Spikes Award, the College World Series Most Outstanding Player. He was then selected first overall in the 2019 MLB Draft, made his professional debut in May of 2022. His 2023 MLB season was one to remember, being an all-star, first-team all-MLB selection, and a Silver Slugger Award winner for the upstart Baltimore Orioles. Adley Rutschman turns 26 today. 
And those are on the birthdays in sports. Again, Jamal Anderson is 38. Jaquiz Rogers is 34. Colin Morikawa is 27. And Adley Rutschman is 26. All right, before we go to another break, let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Doing, guys. Thanks for taking my phone call. Brent, welcome back, sir. It's been a while since we've heard you. It has been a minute, but I'm glad to be back. All right, let's get to it real quickly, guys. You know, uh, like Mr. Janai Broom said, who also got his seat of the week, uh, I, I just read, right? Yes. Well, uh, it is personal. And this one goes to the heart of his personal, guys. Uh, this comes from a Twitter post. And the quote is, it reminds me a lot of high school gyms, just with a lot more people in there. You kind of pack 2,000 people in a high school gym and get a similar setting. Now you pack whatever they seat, eight, nine, ten thousand, 10,000, whatever it is. That place is loud. Okay. Uh, who said it, guys? It was Nate Oates. You got it. What would you make of that, guys? Yeah, so, again, when I first heard it, I rolled my eyes. I was not the, the biggest fan in the world. Uh, then a little more context was provided uh, by Brant, ironically. Uh, he had, he'd seen yeah. a little bit about it. And yeah, so, me, me coming to the defense of Nate Oates, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, so don't, I, don't say that, Brant. <laughs> look, no, I, I have no love for Nate yeah. Oates. I, I'm not ever going to defend him. But I will say that that quote's been taken a little bit out of context. So, so yeah, that was my take was, after hearing about it, was, yeah, I I think I understood what he meant. However, it was probably not executed the right way, which has been a tendency for him to, to put his foot in his mouth many times. Well, the part that I got, uh, they got to me said, really, it's a bit of a, a backhanded you know, uh, insult, uh, slight, is that I don't know too many high school gyms that look anything near like our arena does. Well, of course. I mean, again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's meant to be just not, not taken literally, but uh, again, when, you, when that's the first thing that you bring up is, you know, a high school gym, you have some explaining to do, and he tried to explain it. And again, I understand what he was going for. Uh, I think that I think he was trying to say that Auburn is a tough environment while also saying it does not have as many people as other college basketball arenas. And again, it just it was not poorly executed or it was not well yeah. executed. Yeah. Okay. Well, take real quickly, guys. You were talking about recruits. Um, this one came to my attention. I said, "Well, what is this about?" Because I haven't read any Pete Thamel scandal hit pieces yet on this, and maybe nothing will come of it. But uh, caught my attention from Two Forty Seven Sports. One of the uh, Blog, uh, post, uh, people post something that says, Breaking, Alabama and head coach Kalen DeBoer are being accused of tampering with Arizona star quarterback Noah Fafita. Is that his name? Sure. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, according to the report, uh, it says that his dad has now revealed that Alabama reached out to them despite Noah never entering the portal. According to Les Fafita's father, quote, we had three schools reach out, for sure. Alabama is the only one who are really interested in the outside of Arizona and staying in, obviously, Washington, in a quote. Uh, shouldn't that be a, a no-no? Uh, it is a no-no, but it's also something that everyone in the country is doing. Uh, if you're not doing it, you're going to fall behind. So, uh, yes, Alabama probably should be punished for breaking the rules here, but that's never stopped anybody before, so I, I don't expect anything to come of this, really. Well, that's important because, you know, when you say that, Britt, you know, my take is that, you know, I've said that, unfortunately, when I've gotten a speed ticket, hey, you know, they're going faster than I am, 
He said, yeah, but you're the one I caught. Yeah, I mean, so, but... To me, it's like, you know, if you don't catch this and this out in public, you know, why, why don't beat them on this? You know, they usually love to uh, do hit pissies on uh, heat pizzas on, on Auburn. Yeah, again, oh, and look, I, I know you said you read about 247. I have I did not see that, and I was scrolling through the last day or so, and I still did not see that. But okay, uh, so we'll see if more details come out about that. But uh, but yeah, I, I uh, the same kind of thing happened with uh, with Iowa and uh, with with uh, Iowa reaching out to Caden Proctor, Alabama's left tackle, uh, or you know, middle of the season and quote checking in on him. So. Uh, the fact of the matter is, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this is going on, and it's probably way more common than we want to admit. Well, if that's the case, and I trust you guys know more than I do, then the NCAA just needs to take that rule off, because if you're not going to force it, it's not really a rule. Well, I would prefer that they do enforce it and that they'd be able to. The problem is there's 130 schools, and uh, it would be very hard to enforce that because you're going to have to be – grabbing messages and, and all this. I mean, it, it's really just not uh, very likely to be enforceable. And, uh, you know, but but at the same time, like, I think the, the rule makes sense. You should not be able to contact other players middle of a season and try to get them to leave that school. That's not a good practice. Like, that, that is not a, a healthy thing. And so you, there are 200 and some days of the year where you can do that. That's not in the middle of the season. So... Uh, I would I would like in a perfect world for it to be enforceable and there will be a way to enforce it. Uh, however, with that many th- uh, players and schools to keep track of, realistically, it is not going to be able to be, uh, be keep track of. I get it. So, in other words, nothing to see here. Move on, please. Probably so. Okay. Well, speaking of moving on, guys, this has caught my attention. Some people, I'd say right now, have way too much money. Uh, at least from my estimation, I just read from ESPN a complete set of Michael Jordan's championship Ed Jordan sneakers, that's six of them, worn by uh, Mr. Michael Jordan during his victories of the NBA titles and finals MVP. So for how much? Oh, I don't know. A couple million, a few million? Uh, how about eight million? Eight million, yeah. It's a lot a and I don't have it. Record. A global auction record says here for game-worn sneakers. Uh Wow, it's called the Dynasty Collection. Yeah. Now that's not that's not the highest though for a Michael Jordan uh, item of apparel. Uh, didn't know this one. Apparently, it comes in second place. Uh, his jersey worn in Game One of the 1998 Last Dance Finals uh-huh. uh, went for 10.1 million dollars. Thing. Yeah, that's it's quite an item though. Yep. Okay. All right. Now go real quickly, guys. Some times up. Other people are calling. I saw the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles, are going to be hosting the first ever NFL football game in where? Sao Paulo, Brazil, next year. Yep, Friday. coming season. Opening week on that Friday. Yep. Yeah. Now, do you know how that came about, how they picked uh, Brazil of all places, not Germany? Well, I, well, I think that, A, I think they've still got a Germany game on the schedule. I'll, I'll right. go back and double-check that. I think it's because it's Brazil's first, and they want to highlight it as being the first. They've kind of already... Uh, gotten this Germany thing going the last couple of years. Obviously, they've been going to England for a dozen, 15 years or so. And uh, I, I think they just wanted to kind of put it more set apart and highlight it. 
Uh, and then as far as why is the Eagles, you know, pretty big branded team. I think that most of these host teams for the foreign games will be NFC teams uh, this year because of the fact that the NFC has an extra home game in 2024. You know, it alternates. You, pl- you play 17. So one year a-, a team is at home nine times. The other they're at home eight times. And, it- and it's – the same depending on what league you're in. So, in other words, the NFC teams had eight home games this year, so they'll all have nine next year. So they want to kind of pull from some of those teams that have nine and, and make them the, the quote-unquote home team for these games. Okay. And I was kind of wondering, guys, you know, how come no one has had an NFL game, you know, uh, in Canada? Wouldn't they get a lot of attendance? Uh, I, I feel yeah. like the biggest thing with it. Well, I feel like if you're a Canadian fan of an NFL team, you already have the Buffalo Bills right there. Uh, they are they are on the wrong side of the border, but they're very close. Also, Canada already has the CFL, uh, and the NFL and the True. CFL kind of try and work together in some ways. So I don't know if they wouldn't be okay with that, or if they have a big enough stadium to do it. I'm not sure, but uh, I think there are there are a couple of reasons why they could just not choose Canada. Okay, fair enough. Bye, guys. That's it. I'm out of here. Thank you for your time as always. Have a good afternoon, and uh, we'll talk about the, uh, I guess, with the uh, the uh, retribution game tomorrow. Then sounds good. All right, Warrior guys. Warrior Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Warrior and Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to head to our next time out in the show. A reminder that Justin Ferguson will be joining us at four o'clock today. A shortened show that ends at four thirty. We'll be right back after this time out. Want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brant Daughtry with you here on this Tuesday. You want to give us a call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. To join us again, have to do that in the next few minutes because at 4 o'clock we'll have Justin Ferguson on of the Auburn Observer for our weekly chat. We'll talk all things Auburn basketball and Auburn football. And again, a shortened edition of the show uh, with a 4.30 in time today. And, again, Brant, we joked off air since you had not been on the last couple of weeks in the spirit of MLB spring training coming up a couple of weeks. This is like your reacclimation. Like you're still professional. You're still on the show. <laughs> you're on the roster the whole time. But you had an off season. We're working you back in with a shorter show. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when you're bringing a guy back, even if he's fully healthy, uh, maybe the stamina not what it used to be. Uh, and, you know, three hours is a long time. So, kind of good that we're getting an hour and a half and you know it kind of a kind of a good thing i guess because 
a lot has happened with Auburn uh, since the the last time I was on the show, and uh, we're we're kind of slowly catching up. And you know, I I've been kind of voicing my opinions in other ways, but haven't been on the show to give it. So a uh, little bit, kind of a good thing that I'm back on the show and before too much builds up. Sure. Uh, and one thing we did not hit on yesterday, I want to get to before we go uh, back to the phone line. Uh, is there was a flip commitment this weekend uh, that Auburn lost out on, uh, which was a pretty pretty big prospect for 2025. Uh, Kendarius Reddick, the safety out of Thomasville, Georgia, uh, who's a top 100 player. A couple sites have him as high as the top 50. A couple sites have him just outside the top 100, so goes it in the life of recruiting, but still grades out, averages into the top 100. Uh, flipped his commitment from Auburn to UCF over the weekend, and in large part because of Mr. Trevon Reed. Uh, I think that the Twitter world now wants Trevon to be done. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Are we done yet? Hopefully so. Uh, But, again, kind of already shown you the impact that he has and getting to move into a more prominent role, one where he can more constantly and outwardly recruit. His former role obviously allowed for a little bit of it, but you can't really go into homes. Uh, most of the time and, and there's certain limitations you have when you're on the field coach though you become a primary recruiter for a lot of these players and again that's not one I, I think it's pretty easy to figure out that uh, Reddick and T. Reed had a pretty good relationship and oh, yeah and uh, Auburn lost out there yeah and that does suck but that's the nature of recruiting you know you lose a staffer like that to to a better job. He, Trevon Reed took this job because it was a promotion, and he gets to go back and work with Gus Malzahn, who, who's his guy. You know, Everybody who's ever played for Gus absolutely loves him, uh, and we've seen that uh, with a lot of guys that came out of Auburn, the guys that have come out of UCF, the guys that left Auburn and went to UCF after Gus was fired. Um, these guys love him, and uh, clearly his ability to hire former players as coaches, he leans on that because he trusts those guys, and those guys trust him, and and you know we we knew how much heavy lifting Trevon Reed has done in the world of recruiting over the past couple of years for Auburn football, and and like you said, now that he can be a position coach, he is a primary recruiter that just opens up so many more doors for him. And I personally, I'm excited to see where he ends up. Well, and look, similar to how uh, we talked about Derek Nix surviving, continuing on with four different coaching staffs, Ole Miss, mm-hmm. Trevon Reed was a guy that Gus started to get involved at the end of his tenure. Brian Harson wanted him to still be involved, and then Hugh Freeze wanted him to still be involved. And yes, he was not necessarily elevating up, a, a, you know, onto an on-the-field role. But also, I would argue that if he was not doing his job well, that would be an easier to replace. Mm-hmm. The public is not going to be as aware of type of replacement. And again, three different head coaches wanted him to be involved there. So uh, him being a young guy, and also for me. I thought, and I, I'm, next time I talk to Trevon, I'm going to ask him if he's thought about it this way, is that he is going back with somebody. What does it mean to him that he committed to play for Gus as an offensive coordinator? Gus Malzahn becomes the head coach, switches his position to defensive back. He gets to play a little bit in the NFL as a defensive back, and then Gus trusts him enough in his development, I want you to now coach the position I wanted you to change to back when you were in college. I wonder if he's thought about that full circle circle moment. But, again, we, knowing Trevon a little bit personally, could figure out how much he wanted to be involved and uh, his uh, ability to really put his passion into something. And so 
that's going to play well in recruiting-wise. I hope mm-hmm. he does coach the position well. I hope he does continue to elevate. But at the very minimum, I know why he is a good recruiter because he is charismatic. He has a lot of belief. He does work hard. And those are a lot of important things in this world, especially in this football world where you got to be talking to people every day. You got to be charismatic. You got to want to do it. Uh, and that's why he's a good fit to keep being elevated. Yeah, and I think that moving forward, we know he can recruit, right? And we know that now that he has, we talked about it, he opened so many more doors. We know that the recruiting aspect is, is he's got that. He's, he's going to figure that out. Um, and apparently, I mean, some of the guys that uh, played football here at Auburn that he recruited uh, said that he's not just a recruiting guy. He's an excellent coach and Obviously, Gus trusts him enough to to become a full time position coach. So that that's what I'm excited to see is how well does he work with these kids, not just getting them on campus, but now that it is his job to make them better. Uh, what more can he do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we do love him to death. Uh, I would ask that not every good defensive recruit uh, that is considering Auburn go go there instead. <laughs> uh, but uh, we know he'll do a great job and. Uh, certainly recruiting ranks has already gotten a, a big-time commit for them. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you today? Fine. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Brent. Hey, buddy. What's up? Not much, man. We're uh, we're just uh, we're doing all right today. So, hey, so, Brent, what did you um, – I got a question for both of you guys. I saw one of the Auburn players went to you uh, where Gus is at. Uh, I think his last name is Harris. Kendarius Reddick. We were just talking about him. So what? So what do you guys think about that from him going from Auburn to where Gus is at? And you think he'll play better there, or you think it was because he wanted to go there, or he wanted to follow? Trevon Reed. I, I think it's very clear that uh, his relationship with Trevon Reed was a big reason that he committed to Auburn, and uh, now that Trevon's at UCF, he wants to follow him there. So, uh, I, I think that Trevon Reed is the the biggest reason that D. Reddick flipped to UCF. Mm, okay, and um, Brent, are you going to the game tomorrow night? I will not be there. So what? So what do you think it'll be like a high score? I, can I ask Ryan this? Do you think Auburn can probably score like? 90-something into Bama's 50-something? I don't know. I think Alabama's a little too good to be held uh, at 50. I think they'll score more than that, but I think that Auburn can't win the ga- can win the game. Auburn is very good offensively and defensively. If their shot starts falling, then I feel like they could win this game by double digits. Um, and, and I think that y- you look at – what Alabama does, they don't defend well. Uh, Auburn missed a couple. Of, Auburn missed a bunch of shots in that Alabama game, and Alabama made every single one, and that was really the biggest difference. And Auburn lost by four. So you're getting back into the home gym. Uh, Auburn's a really good defensive team. Alabama is not. I expect Auburn to not, not have an easy time on offense. We've seen the offense struggle a little bit, especially a, a half at a time lately. But uh, I think that Auburn has a good enough offense to win this game pretty handily by the end of the, four, the second half. So do you, like, before I ask your prediction, you said Auburn win by double, double, double I, digits. I think Auburn can win by double digits. I don't know if they will. Okay. But um, before I ask you what your prediction is on the game, do you think, to Bron- can I ask Ryan this, too, do you, I'm thinking to, 
to Jerome Broom will score either 25 points or 30 points. What do you think and what's your score for tomorrow night? I- I think that 25 to 30 is a lot to ask of a guy who's averaging about 15. Uh, I think that Janai is certainly capable of nights like that, but I think that Alabama has some pretty good post players, and him scoring 30 would be a big ask. But uh, I think that he can certainly hover around his average of 15 or so. Um, and I expect Auburn to be somewhere close to 80. And if they're playing well and Alabama doesn't get super hot from the outside, uh, I think that Alabama could be held somewhere in the low 70s. Do you think it'll probably be the same score when Auburn beat Ole Miss? Say that one more time, Matt. Do you think that Auburn can score the same amount of points like they did against Ole Miss? Yeah, again, at that, Ole Miss? Yeah, they uh, scored 91 at Ole Miss. Yeah, I think that they uh, can get to that number. I just think that uh, when we were doing the score predictions, I just expected Alabama to also get to a pretty, a pretty reasonably high number, too. But, yeah, I absolutely think Auburn can get to 90. So who, so who on the best point guard for Auburn will you put on Alabama's point guard? I, I mean, I think that you're probably going to see uh, not only Trey Donaldson play Mark Sears a little bit, I think you're also going to see Denver Jones and Katie Johnson take some turns. I think it's going to be really kind of all, on all those guards because Auburn needs their best defenders to guard Mark Sears. He is going to be uh, very likely a first-team All-SEC guy. Uh, and, and would be considered for player of the year, too, behind Dalton Connect. So I, I think that uh, you're going to see two to three guys go at him, but probably not even necessarily the point guards. I think Denver Jones and Katie Johnson will, will get turns at him. So, hey, Ryan and Brent, do you guys probably see Holloway playing against Alabama's point guard? Uh, probably. Uh, if he's on the floor, he better play defense on somebody. So uh, if, if he has a couple of possessions where he's – matched up against Mark Sears, then then so be it. Even though, like Ryan said, I expect most of the night he'll be matched up with KD jo- KD De- Denver Jones and KD Johnson. Excuse me. But he, he's the one – is the one who got in trouble with violation team rules. And who was the other Auburn player? Denver Jones. Okay. Yeah, but they're so, good They're good now. They're all right. Okay. Well, hey, um, like I said, uh, if Fort Anne Steve has any questions for me for April – I'll mention to I don't give me an answer next Monday. And my mom told me that if you can, if you can tell James that heavy metal is not my kind of music. Yep, next time he calls in we'll we'll let him know that. And I can't watch YouTube videos either. Yep, we'll let him know. You gotta do what mama says, so Amen. Amen. I will right, well, worry Hey, Brent, nice talking to you, and um, War Eagle, and um, talk to you next time. It's nice to hear from you, man. War Eagle, Matt. Bye-bye. That is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt for Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're down to about four or five minutes left here in hour number one. Again, another shortened edition of the program as we'll be getting off here around 4.30 for Oregon High School basketball coming up just prior to 5 o'clock. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us at 4 o'clock today. Uh, Also just getting excited, too, because uh, with the uh, heart of basketball season right now, but also the end of the high school basketball season fast approaching, that means that baseball and softball season is is near. Uh, Auburn softball starting 
this weekend at Jane B. Moorefield. Auburn baseball will be starting next week. We hope to grab some interviews with some of the prominent figures in those two programs in the coming days. But uh, this kind of weather is, again, what I am simply and humbly asking for <laughs> as we start the outdoor sports in the next couple of weeks. Because uh, when it gets dark and it gets in the 30s at night, it's like, you know, need to be a little more bundled up mm-hmm. than I want to be. But if you can just package low 60s into beautiful baseball and softball <laughs> weather, I'm so, I'm so there. I'll be there every time. Low 60s, I think I've said this before, low 60s is my favorite kind of climate. Uh, I could live in that 24-7, 365 if – if I was allowed to, but uh, yeah, it, you know, baseball and softball coming up. It was fine when it was 18 degrees outside when I was inside a gym calling <laughs> high school basketball. I'm going to have to be outside now. I'd rather it be a little warmer, uh, but you know, I, obviously the early baseball and softball season, it's going to be chilly and you just got to deal with it, but uh, it, it'll warm up before too long, I think. And of course, uh, you'll hear Brant on FM Talk 93.9 as you typically do with uh with Smith Station baseball and softball, but also Brant, uh, you've got a, another opportunity. Uh, I, I this do, spring. I do. If I can self promote a little bit, yeah. Um, it, it, uh, for those who don't know, Auburn University has a student led radio station called uh, Weagle W E G L on ninety one point one in this area, um, and uh, for the past several years, you know this this station has had Auburn University sports. Don't have that anymore. But uh, one of the good things about that is that Weagle is now going to be broadcasting Auburn softball. And I have been uh, assigned to call a couple of Auburn softball games this upcoming season. I'll, I'll be one of the, the secondary analysts for them. I'll be up in the booth with Jacob Hillman, Britt Bowen, and our good buddy J.J. Jackson. Uh, from Nashville. From Nashville, from Asheville, Tennessee. <laughs> what? what? From, Ash- <laughs> from Asheville, North Carolina, not Nashville, Tennessee. Excuse me. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, all right. This, this, is why it's, yeah. this is why it's an hour and a half show, and I'm, this is my first time back. But... Um, yeah, so I'll be doing that. Uh, my first assignment will be Saturday, uh, doubleheader between Auburn and Virginia Tech, and Auburn and goodness, I cannot remember the other school that they're playing. But I, Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech's sheet is the thing I'm working yeah. on right now. Top twenty-five team, right? Sure. Absolutely, yeah. a really good recruiting class that they just brought in, uh, and Auburn with a ton of expectations on them this year. So uh, really looking forward to getting in that booth on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely, man. We're excited for you and. Uh, certainly that is a, a great opportunity. We we'll look forward to, to hearing you and uh, some of those Auburn Sports Network guys get back into it. And Auburn softball, again, they're trying to get a little bit better, just a little yeah. bit higher. You know, they just, are – It's been – the pitching has been so good yes. over the past several years. And, the, I mean, this is the the knock against Mickey Dean teams, right, is that his his pitching is going to be dominant. Matty Penta is a legitimate top five player in all of college softball. Um, but the the offense has got to pick up, and if the offense can't score runs, then you can't win the games. It doesn't matter how how few runs you give up. Um, at some point, that offense has got to come in, and you lost some pieces to the portal and to graduation and to saying, "Hey, I'm still a student at Auburn, but I'm not going to play softball anymore." And and there's a lot of noise around Auburn softball right now, and uh, it, this is the this is the put up or shut up year. You you've got to do something. You've got to go on a run. Uh, not just in the season, but you've got to make a deep postseason run this year. Uh, and there are a lot of expectations on this Auburn softball team. And again, I think it would do wonders just to get that precious host spot uh, mm-hmm. as the top 16 seed. Auburn was so close to that and really felt like they deserved that last year. Uh, but if they can just get that host spot, you, you get a home crowd at Jane B. Moore Field, a reminder that this year the SEC softball tournament is at Jane B. Moore Field. 
Uh, so we certainly hope the Tigers will be able to have a deep run in that and therefore host some more postseason action at Jane B. Moorefield. But Auburn softball getting going this weekend, Auburn baseball next weekend. Again, our goal on the show is to have some of those coaches on our show in the coming weeks. Let's take our end of hour break now. When we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. He'll talk things Auburn basketball related ahead of the Iron Bowl basketball tomorrow night inside of Neville Arena. Also, a little bit about Auburn football as they now look for a defensive line coach. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9 on this shortened edition of Sports Call. Again, getting off air in about a half hour or so. And as we start hour number two, we go to the orthopedic clinic phone line where we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Again, kind enough to spend some time with us on this Tuesday. Ferg, as always, we appreciate the interview. How are things in your world? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Doing very well. And, of course, Auburn basketball doing very well after their win in Oxford, Mississippi, Saturday night. And, Ferg, again, the second half alone, 56 points for the Tigers, shot 73% from the field. Take us behind kind of the anatomy of an offense or offensive half of basketball like that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a phenomenal game for Auburn. And I think what they did was they got Janai Broom rolling early and, and just let everything play off of that. Um, Janai had – an incredible second half, not just scoring, but you know, creating. He had seven assists in this game, which was a, a career high for him. Just a phenomenal game, and, and just inside out. Um, Ole Miss did not have um, anybody who could really hang with him long term. Musa Cisse is a decent center, uh, their transfer center they had, but without Jamarian Sharp, uh, their backup center, they really were having to go play small ball at times kind of got overloaded and Auburn just kicked it in, you know, to their, to their front court and let both Janai Broom and Jalen Williams go to work. Um, and then, you know, when Ole Miss over pursued and double teamed and, you know, it created wide open shots for other guys. And so they knocked them down. Auburn played really well. They attacked the basket, got a ton of paint touches. We're the stronger, more physical, more in shape team in the second half. They wore Ole Miss down and just kept hammering away at the paint and, and creating off of that. So, phenomenal half of basketball. You're not going to see a better offensive half against a quality opponent, especially away from home um, like that. Uh, it was it was a phenomenal 
from Auburn, but it all starts uh, with with Jani Broom and and then everybody playing off of him. Ferg, a lot of a lot of noise being made about the fact that up to this point, Almer didn't have a quad one win. Uh, what does it mean that they finally have that kind of that big time win? And second, uh, kind of give a refresher course on what quad one means and and sure. all and what what the net rankings mean as a whole. Yeah, so the net is it was it's been it's been around for a few years now. It's what replaced the RPI uh, for. You know, basically, NCAA tournament purposes, the selection committee uses that as kind of its biggest, you know, way to rank teams, rule teams, grade teams. You know, use them as a as a comparison point. And so, what the net does is that it is it is a it is kind of a combination of kind of like what you see from Kempom or T Rank or some of these other ones, where it's like it it tells you how good you've done this year, but it also looks ahead. It kind of is predictive as well as it is you know kind of looking back and. You know, a quad one win is basically, um, I hope I get these numbers right again, uh, it's like one through 35 at home. If you play a team in net, one through 35 at home, uh, one through 50 on neutral site, and one through 75 or 70, something like that on the road, that is a quad one game, and those weigh the most. Um, it, is, it is the best measurement of saying who you beat, um, you know, and, and, and um, you know, that's, a, that's one where a lot of, a lot of elite teams get compared. What do they do against quad one games? Now, Auburn has not played very many quad one games this year, um, and that's kind of hurt them a little bit. Um, but I think it's more to do with the fact that, like, a team like Arkansas or a team like USC or Virginia Tech aren't as good as we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. So Auburn's got a low number of quad one games that they've played. They are the best team in America in quad two games, which is a, which is a really, you know, it helps out a lot. Um, but they finally get this quad one win. Good road win against Ole Miss. Tomorrow night against Alabama's quad one game. Florida on the road's quad one game. South Carolina at home could end up being close to a quad one game when it's all said and done. So Auburn's going to have plenty of these opportunities to really, really boost their resume. And it was good for them to finally get it. You know, Auburn has built a strong resume without it, which is a really good sign. Um, but, you know, it, it's always good to go ahead and get one uh, out of the way, especially on the road. And uh, Auburn's going to have a lot more opportunities to stack them up here in the next few weeks. Of course, a lineup change that Bruce Pearl has made over the last few games has been uh, to insert Trey Donaldson into the starting lineup and have Aiden Holloway come off the bench. How has Aiden Holloway responded to that, and is that something that you expect to see potentially for the rest of the season? I think Aiden's handled it well. I mean, I think Aiden's played some better ball these last couple games coming off the bench. Um, I think he's a really good fit with a guy like Katie Johnson, with a guy like Chad Baker-Mazzara, um, playing with them, playing with Dylan Cardwell. He brings a little bit more outside shooting to that, um, to that role, that threat. He's a really good assist-turnover ratio guy. Um, but just bottom line is Trey Dawson has just been playing better uh, than him over the last few weeks. And so Auburn, you know, Bruce Pearl did the, did, did the thing that, you know, any good coach would do in that situation is, you know, make a tough call, make that adjustment. Uh, and, and it's worked out. Trey's been playing really well. Um, Aiden, I think, is, you know, we talked to Bruce Pearl today. He said he thought that, Aiden's really enjoyed playing with some different guys here in this rotation. And here's the thing about Aiden Holloway. I mean, you hear five-star and you think he's going to come in and be all-world right off the bat. And it just hasn't been the case with Aiden. Now, he has played well in some areas, but it's just shot hasn't fallen like we thought it would at the beginning of the year. But Aiden Holloway, I mean, I tell guys all the time, like if you, you watch him at practice, you watch him, you know, uh, interact with his teammates, you probably wouldn't expect him to be a five-star. Because um, he just doesn't carry himself that way. He just carries himself like one of the guys. And I think, you know, he's got a really good head on his shoulders. 
Um, he, he, he obviously wishes he'd be, he was shooting better right now, and he obviously wishes he would be a starter right now because that's just what a competitor does. But um, I do think this is a, a kid who has accepted this role really well, and uh, he's still providing plenty of value um, because, you know, even coming off the bench in a Bruce Pearl system, you still could end up playing 17, 18, you know, even 20-plus minutes a night. Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Also Ferg, when we look ahead to the big Alabama game tomorrow night in Neville Arena, what can Auburn learn from their very close defeat in Coleman Coliseum a few weeks ago? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I'm actually writing that story for tomorrow at the Observer. But you look at it, you look at the first matchup, Auburn got into some turnover issues early, um, gave Alabama some easier opportunities on the road. Um, you know, to kind of get out and run and score, you got to cut those down. Rebounding really let them down in the second half. Alabama had a lot of second chance points, especially down the stretch. You know, that game missed opportunities for Auburn. That's going to be key uh, for them. And you know, Bruce Pearl is going to be preaching the importance of defensive rebounding in a big game. Um, you know, that's going to be that's going to be key. And then just bottom line, I mean, I think Chad Baker Mazar had the best answer to this because when I asked him, I said, well, "Hey, what what can you guys do differently from the first game to this game?" He just looked at me and said. Hit more shots. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line. Auburn did not hit jumpers in that game in Tuscaloosa. Had a very cold night shooting. So what do they do? Last week, shoot the ball better against Vanderbilt. Obviously, they they shot the lights out uh, against against Ole Miss. I mean, even with that slower first half, Auburn was shooting really well from deep in that game. So they bring that to the table tomorrow night. They lock down a little better on defense, uh, and then they make sure that they take care of the ball. Playing in their own building, they'll have a good chance to win this game. Um, but, you know, Alabama's going to play with a lot of confidence. They're number one in the league for a reason. They shoot with no fear. They score with no fear. They're going to be a really tough matchup for sure. But I think for Auburn, you know, they came out of that game against Tuscal- in Tuscaloosa saying, hey, we didn't play anywhere near our best game, and we, and we lost a close one. We know we can be a lot better, and they're going to need it tomorrow night. Ferg, you talked about that Auburn defense in that last question. Uh, Alabama's coming in with Mark Sears, one of the best scorers in the SEC. How does what does Auburn need to do to slow him down? I mean, they they got to they got to take it to you know look at Denver Jones and Katie Johnson and say, hey, we're going to need you. Um, you know, the the thing with Mark Sears is he's a great shooter. He's a great scorer, downhill scorer, drives to the basket very well. Um, what they want to do uh, with Mark Sears, what Alabama likes to do with Mark Sears is just, hey, run him through screens, on ball, off ball, work, get him in a lot of action to get him open. So for Denver Jones and Katie Johnson, who are probably going to be the primary defenders on him, uh, depending on you know what time they're in the game, it's going to be straight up like, hey, you're going to have to fight. <laughs> you're going to have to fight through a lot of junk. You're going to have to fight through a lot of stuff. Because the last thing you want to do, I think, is switch a ton or – have to play zone. You don't want to play zone against this Alabama defense because I mean this Alabama offense because they shoot so well. But you don't want to get in a situation where you know you're switching a ton or you're feeling like uh, Alabama can go and get whatever matchup they want, get in favorable spots, and let Sears go to the basket on you. So I think for guys like Denver Jones and, and Katie Johnson, it's just hey, you know, buckle up the proverbial tent strap because it is going to be a very very tough matchup. But they know that if you know. Uh, Mark Sears is below his average. Uh, Auburn's got a much better chance to win this game. So I think it's going to be a lot on those guards just to kind of muscle up and play some tough defense. And you alluded to it a a little bit earlier in our conversation, Ferg, but of course this is an incredibly tough month 
for Auburn basketball. Four of their six remaining opponents are ranked. The other two are at Florida and at Georgia. Clearly tough places to play. Uh, I know this question is very subjective, but what what will constitute a good month of Auburn basketball in your mind? You know, I think if I think a good month of Auburn basketball coming up will be if they continue to win out at home, if they stay undefeated at home, and you know, don't don't win out. You know, don't win everything you got on the road, but take a couple of these on the road. Um, you get you get Florida coming up next week. You um, you, you play Georgia uh, on the road, um, and then you also have Georgia at home as well. Uh, you know, coming up, um, you got Tennessee on the road, which is going to be brutal. You got Missouri towards the end of the year on the road as well. If you hold serve at home and you pick up a few of those wins on the road, you don't have to sweep it or anything. You you know you have a chance to you know come out of this with um, you know like fourteen and four, thirteen and five in the SEC, which will get you in championship contention, which should get you a double buy in the SEC tournament, and which should position you pretty well to be you know maybe even a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. So um, you know if they lose tomorrow against Alabama, all hope is not lost. But um, you know the team really knows they've. They look at each other and say, "Hey, if we want to have a chance to win a championship, we need to we need to win in this building." And so I think it starts there. But on the road, I don't expect Auburn to sweep. I don't I don't even expect Auburn to win. Maybe even the majority of their games on the road. But they need to win. They need to win a, a few of them to feel you know pretty good about where they stand. And then Ferg, turning to football, of course, so we alluded to it a little bit last week in our conversation that you never know if the staff movement is clearly or is ever really over. Of course, it was not over. Jeremy Garrett taking a position defensive line coach in the NFL. So Auburn now searching for a defensive line coach. What can you tell us on, on uh, any names that might come to mind or, or what type of guy they're going to be wanting to fill this role? Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I, you know, don't have a whole lot of info on that with Jeremy Garrett moving um, on to the NFL, which not a surprise. He was used to be an NFL coach. He did a really good job there, and he's obviously very well respected in the industry. Um, you know, I, I think there are gonna be a number of options. I, th- you know, my thing is when you look at potential hires for the staff, I would look at one of two things: one, familiarity with Auburn, or a familiarity with either Hugh Freeze or the guys that Hugh Freeze is turning to to lead his defense, right? So the big thing that Hugh Freeze has talked about this offseason has just been everybody being on the same page, communication, um, you know, kind of just everybody talking the same language uh, when it comes to, you know, coaching and, and, and what they want to do. Um, that's obviously been a big deal for him on offense. I think on defense it can continue to be the same way. Just people who either know this place or know the expectations or know, you know, kind of the way that Hugh Freeze wants to run the show, I would look at either of those options and – you know, I'll be I'll be curious to see what they end up with because they've got, you know, there'll be there'll be a number of names I'm sure floated out around there. Auburn has not been in like a crazy hurry to fill a lot of these roles here in the off season. Um, you know, they've taken their time, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Justin, as always, we certainly appreciate the time. What can our listeners find over at the Auburn Observer here with another big basketball week ahead? Yeah, so tomorrow I'll have a preview of this Auburn-Alabama basketball game, looking at what Auburn needs to do to kind of turn it around in this matchup. Uh, today I wrote a story, kind of a column, uh, really, and it's free for everybody to read. You can go ahead and check it out. And just, um, you know, uh, this this season, neither, neither of the Auburn-Alabama games are on Saturday. And I feel like that is just a real disservice to this rivalry. And the majority of these games have not been on Saturday. And, you know, Saturday games are just the best, in, even in college basketball. So I wrote a column about that and while how this rivalry needs to be treated a little bit better from the TV networks. 
um, you know, to the point. I did a film room on Monday about Jedi Burns big half or big game really uh, against Ole Miss. You can check that out as well. And then plenty of stuff coming up later this week. And I'll be heading to Gainesville this weekend for, for Auburn, Florida. So we got a ton of stuff on the site. AuburnObserver.com sign up there. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us today on Sports Call. Again, Justin, as always, we appreciate the time and we look forward to following along with your coverage of all the basketball this week and look forward to talking again soon. Yep, thank you guys. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Let's go ahead and head to our final timeout of the show today on this shortened edition of Sports Call. Back to start to wrap things up right after this. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. If you're listening after the fact on Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, we certainly appreciate you for listening in. Final segment of the show today. Again, another short show with Borgard High School basketball coming up uh, just prior to 5 o'clock. So we've only got another 10 to 15 minutes with you right here. Uh, good conversation Good conversation. Excuse me, with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer there. And again, that is something that you can check out on the Sports Call podcast if you missed it. Uh, and one of the things you talked a little bit about uh, in previewing this week ahead for Auburn is how specifically important this Auburn-Alabama game is for the SEC standings. Obviously, you never want to get swept by a rival. Uh, Auburn has felt like the little bit better team this year. Um, but if you lose twice, then it's kind of hard to argue that mm-hmm. at that point. And then also for the SEC standings, Again, Alabama is the only team with one loss right now, and Auburn, South Carolina, and Tennessee all have two. It's not really about necessarily falling behind South Carolina or Tennessee. You'll welcome in South Carolina next week to Neville Arena. You will have a very difficult game at Tennessee, but nevertheless, you still have a game with Tennessee ahead. Uh, but if you've lost both to Alabama and then you drop two losses and the loss calm down, you start to wonder who's Alabama supposed to lose to if they come in the Neville Arena and win, how difficult that is. So this is um, – this is a huge one for Auburn's chances to, to still win the regular season SEC. Yeah, absolutely. If Alabama comes in and wins this game all of a sudden, it's like, well, who? like you said, who's going to beat them? Um, they very clearly have the inside track uh, down the stretch here uh, and the latter half of the SEC schedule. But if Auburn wins this game all of a sudden, like you said, you've got that log jam with teams with two losses and all of those teams are going to play each other again at some point. So it, it, I think it'll shake itself out. Like I said, I expect Auburn to win this game. Uh, I, I will be I will be kind of worried if Auburn doesn't win this game. Not that Auburn is going to be just a bad team, but kind of like, oh, wow, the, that, that, that felt like a very winnable game going into it, and then all of a sudden things just didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, and, I, and, you know, I always say context is everything. Maybe something weird happens in the game, and that's why. But I, just looking at it 
on paper right now, I think Auburn is the better team overall. I think that they could come in here and win this game by double digits. I don't know if they will, but I think it's certainly possible for them to do so. So uh, the best thing for everybody is Auburn just go ahead and win this game. <laughs> best thing for everybody involved, just just win the game. Well, again, the rest of the SEC would certainly be rooting for it since Alabama is uh, still with one loss. And yeah, if you look at the remaining schedule, we, we've certainly digested Auburn's. Auburn's February is very difficult. Their March uh, lightens up tremendously. Uh, for Alabama, uh, they go to LSU. That would not be something that I would worry too much about if I were Alabama. LSU uh, is kind of playing their way out of postseason contention right now. Then they host Texas A&M. That's a different style of team, but you, you host them, you feel better. You host Florida. Florida's a pretty good team. Again, home versus road, very important yep. in the sport. At Kentucky, would be incredibly difficult. The weird thing with Kentucky, though, is that Rupp Arena is not meaning too much for them this year. Uh, they are 10-3 and three at home, which, like, you know, that's good. But also basketball. Let me tell you, here's all the teams that have lost less than that at home in the SEC. Alabama, South Carolina, Auburn, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Florida, uh, A&M, LSU have the same amount of losses, and then Mississippi State has only lost twice at home. They're eight and two, so they're making what should be a really great home court advantage seem very normal uh, this year. And yeah. so, uh, even that is way more winnable than maybe you would think on the surface. Kentucky, again, I still respect the team. I still think they can score a million points when Kentucky and Alabama do play. I'm going to take the over no matter what it says. Uh, but again, that's not impossible they go to Ole Miss that'll be difficult too but we'll see uh then they have Tennessee at Florida and then they host Arkansas so they have plenty of 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 tough games they've already lost the at Tennessee game by 20 we'll, we'd see how the home game would go so they do have opportunities to lose because again what I'm trying to tell you is even with this you tie then you got a bunch of teams with two losses and oh by the way you do have to factor in South Carolina too uh, it's we're halfway through conference play and they're seven and two and at some point you do earn some respect uh, for what they've accomplished so far. Uh, again, remind you about South Carolina. They have lost to Alabama. They did get thumped by Alabama, uh, but they beat Mississippi State. Held on and beat Missouri. Lost to Georgia. That was probably their most questionable loss because it was at home. Uh, went to Arkansas. One thumped Kentucky. Uh, beat Missouri. Went into Thompson Bowling and beat Tennessee. Uh, then went into Athens. Beat Georgia last weekend. Uh, and they've got very palatable games before the Auburn game. They host Ole Miss tonight. Ole Miss, one of the weirder 18-4 and four teams, I'll tell you. Usually yeah. if you're 18-4, and four, I think you're a top-20 team and you're really damn good. I still I need something more out of Ole Miss. Then South Carolina holds uh, hosts Fandy. South Carolina could be 21-3 and three coming into the, the Auburn game next week in, uh, in Neville. So got to keep an eye on that. After that, they host LSU. I'd love South Carolina's chances in that one. Then they go to Ole Miss. Let's see how the game tonight goes where we power rank that one. They go to A&M. A&M could be desperate for a bubble win, so that's that would be tough. They host Florida, though. They host Tennessee, so they do play them again. But they'll feel confident because they already beat them on the road, and they go to Mississippi State. So – uh, they definitely got a couple tough ones in there, that mainly Tennessee and the Auburn game. But uh, some of those tweener teams like Florida, uh, you get at home. Like Ole Miss, I guess you, you play both home and road. That's inter- again, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I Again, if you made me pick, I think Tennessee's the best team in the SEC. I think Auburn and Alabama are very much within shouting distance. Uh, and then I, I, maybe I'm still disrespecting South Carolina. <laughs> I think they're still in with Kentucky in the 4A, 4B range. Uh, but that's the beauty of the league is I think there's five legitimate teams uh, that would have a shot to get out of the first weekend. 
And again, maybe that's an ounce premature in South Carolina. But again, they are nineteen and three and seven to the league. Like that's that's pretty real in my opinion. So uh, you you've got a good uh, solid hierarchy. But also what that means is you do have four breakaways with Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee. And then you got a bunch of teams at four losses. But the last thing you want is either Ole Miss or, or Kentucky mainly to go on a huge run and, and knock you out of a top four spot. Because that's something Ferg also mentioned is, okay, if you don't win the league, at least get your double bye, get your top four slot. Yep. Well, four teams right now have two losses or fewer, and then no one has three, you jump down to four. So right now there is kind of a four-team breakaway about halfway into the conference. You know, the weirdest thing about all that, and, you know, you're you're providing really good analysis, and I think I I agree with everything you said there. How weird is it that Kentucky is maybe the fifth best team in the SEC right now? Yeah. And and they're still getting the same talent that they always get. They have, I I can't remember the kid's name, but the... Antonio Reeves? No, the, the big guy, the big kid. Oh, uh, the, they call him Big Z. That's all I know. Oh, the 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 guy that just started playing. Right, right. Uh, yeah. And and they he, kind of expected him to come in there and just kind of be their missing piece, kind uh-huh. of the the sixth Infinity Stone or whatever. And <laughs> and uh, you know he came out and had a great game, but since then it's just been kind of quiet. Yeah. And and you know they're obviously a really good basketball team. They are firmly a tournament team. They're not on the bubble. I think it goes to speak of. Kentucky has gotten a little bit worse, but I think the rest of the SEC has gotten a little bit better, noticeably yeah. better over the over the past decade or so. To where Kentucky has not fallen off that much, but they are now fifth best in the SEC. Yeah, and what's interesting is you know they had a couple years where they actually did try to develop a little bit. They had slightly older players than they were used to. They held on to some guys. They got some portal guys. I remember they getting. Someone like Kellen Grady out of Davidson. It was like a 20 point mm-hmm. score, be one of their guards. And like they, they tried the little bit older out. And this year, Cal, for the most part, just went back to, ah, you know what? Fine. You know, we just get four or five great freshmen. Let's just figure it out. No. I know how to recruit high school seniors. Right. And like Antonio Reeves is the one exception. He is their leading scorer, and he's probably first team all SEC. But I mean, again, Dillingham's a freshman. Reed Shepard is a tremendous freshman. I think he's a tremendous player. DJ Wagner's a freshman. Uh, so they got three double-digit scores that are, are freshmen this year, you know, and they really try to lean on that a little bit more. And they they certainly score all the points they want. They're averaging eighty nine a game. It's mm-hmm. one of the tops in the country, but they don't defend anything, uh, and that still gets you in these track meet games where if you do something undisciplined or the other team is just white hot, then you are in trouble. So uh, that has cost them a few times. But yeah, I, I will say I I look to be wrong on them because. About three to four weeks ago, I thought, okay, this is probably top seven or eight team in the country, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were the best team in the SEC and that sort of thing. And, yeah, I think they're clearly the way they play. I think they're a step below uh, Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama right now. I, I do feel that way. And, and standings-wise, they're a clear step below South Carolina, but okay, we'll let play out a little bit more before we pronounce you know <laughs> absolute facts on everything. But South Carolina just came out of nowhere, didn't they? I don't, I don't think last anybody, in the league again. Yeah. Yeah, like 500 was like the best case scenario, and all of a sudden they're tied for second. It's very weird. Yeah, and again, uh, Auburn will see them in Neville Arena here uh, next week. So, got Alabama tomorrow, got Florida on the road over the weekend. It'll be a tough one, and then you, you host South Carolina. So, again, it's a tough February for Auburn for sure. Final couple minutes of this shortened edition of Sports Call Time for Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. 
Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide is presented by White Claw. White, excuse me, White Claw Hard Seltzer. It's four thirty on the dot, and apparently I've timed out. <laughs> uh, even though this show's usually three hours. All right, White Claw Hard Seltzer sponsoring the Nightly TV Guide. Six o'clock on ESPN. Number three, North Carolina. Uh, fresh off their victory against Duke, they take on Clemson in Chapel Hill. ESPN six o'clock. You've got men's college basketball. Number five, Houston. Host Oklahoma State, one of the worst teams in the Big 12. That's 6 o'clock on ESPN2. You got Wake Forest going to Georgia Tech. That's 6 o'clock on ESPNU. Again, the SEC matchups for tonight were 5.30 for that Ole Miss and South Carolina game on the SEC Network, then 7.30 on the SEC Network. It is a get-right game for Kentucky as they travel to 6-15 and 15 Vanderbilt, who did beat somebody. They beat Missouri over the weekend. They did. The, the battle of the unwinning. Yeah. Missouri. I watched that game actually. Yeah. Oh, I, no, I wasted I wasted my time and, and watched uh, Vanderbilt and Missouri play basketball. That's Missouri, great. you are the weakest link. Yeah. Goodbye. And a couple of movie picks for you today. Six o'clock on FX. It's Star Wars Episode Five, the and, best one. And seven o'clock on Freeform. It's The Water Boy. And that is Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that will do it for this shortened edition of Sports Call. Again, reminder coming up in just a little bit, Borgard Girls Basketball and the Area Championship at Valley. So stay tuned for that. Brent Daughtry, good to have you on the show again, sir. And it's so nice. We'll do it again on Friday. Glad to be back. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We want to thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us today. And as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brent Daughtry, my name is Ryan LeBoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.